I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to episode number 57 of Unforbettable, where we take a look back at some of the less heralded Mets in our beloved franchise's quirky history. As to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in one way or another, unformidable. I'll just dive right into it this week. We've had a someone who's been suggested by a couple of people. Uh, we're going to go back, way back in Met history, back to 1964, which we primarily 1964, which we visited recently when we looked at Charlie Smith. Uh, we're going to look at a player who came to the Mets in 1964 and who is mostly known in baseball history for being on the wrong side of some very prominent baseball history, not once, but twice, uh, once with the New York Mets, and that is Mr. Tracy Stallard. Tracy Stallard was born on August 31st, 1937, in Coburn, Virginia, and he loved to play baseball, and he was a local legend, as described uh, in biographies and articles I've read on him. Uh, he was a tall, strapping six foot five, and threw very hard, and he was undefeated in his four years at Coburn High School throwing two no-hitters uh, in his senior year, uh, which, of course, earned him the attention of Major League scouts. 
1956, he was signed out of high school uh, by the Boston Red Sox. So hard-throwing and tall and right-handed, so, you know, all things that the scouts love and love to dream upon. So he was indeed considered a promising pitching prospect uh, with, you know, a lot of hopes for his development, but he did struggle early in the minors, uh, particularly with command. Uh, If you look at his early minor league numbers, uh, he generally averaged anywhere from four and a half to six walks per nine innings in the minors, uh, even while striking out uh, close to, or sometimes at some stops, even over a batter an inning, uh, which of course, you know, even in the minors was uh, less common than it is in today's strikeout heavy baseball era. Uh, but he did finally seem to start to put it together a bit in 1959. Uh, he started that in uh, basically, I think it was the equivalent of Class A <clears throat> back then, uh, and he went nine and four with a 1.68 ERA and 13 starts, uh, earning a jump up to AAA, where he continued to pitch well, putting up a 2.25 ERA. So he entered the 1960 baseball season on the cusp, it would seem, at the tender young age of 22 still, but he's he, he somewhat regressed in the minors. He didn't have as good a season as he did in 1959 uh, in AAA, but he did get called up for a cup of coffee in September, uh, making his major league debut on September 14th, 1960. Uh, throwing a scoreless mop-up inning against Cleveland in an 11-7 Red Sox defeat. Uh, One strikeout, one walk, no hits allowed in his Major League debut. He got in only four games in the latter part of the 1960 season. Uh, Most impressively, his fourth and final game on October 1st, 1960, in the penultimate game of the year. Uh, facing a somewhat depleted but still impressive starting lineup uh, against the New York Yankees, who were resting a number of their regulars on the way to the World Series, uh, which they would be starting in just a couple of days. Uh, Tracy Stallard pitched two perfect innings of relief, striking out four batters. Um, Most prominently, leading off the eighth inning, he struck out that season's soon-to-be-crowned MVP, Roger Maris. And of course, exactly one year to the day later, Stallard would face the Yankees and Maris again in a game which would yield for Stallard, at least, uh, historically disappointing results. The 61 season would actually start happily for Stallard as he'd make the Major League roster uh, for the first time in his career, starting off the season, starting off as a swingman in the bullpen. Uh, ultimately joining the Boston Red Sox rotation in the second half of the season. Uh, For the 61 season, he appeared in 43 games, uh, starting 14 of them. Mostly pitched in long relief, although he did pick up two saves early in the year, and he ultimately made his first start of his career on August 6, 1961, pitching well but losing a 1-0 decision to the Kansas City A's. Uh, his very next start, he earned his first career win, going eight and two-thirds innings in a 3-2 win over the Twins. It's a very Stallard-esque line of five walks and eight strikeouts as he continued to flash those control problems that would kind of bedevil him or limit him over the course of his career. 
In fact, he over his next seven starts, he would go one and five with one no decision. Uh, that no decision was an outing against the Tigers and Jim Bunning, who he would match up with again, famously, as we'll discuss soon. And Stallard went four and two thirds innings and walked ten batters in that outing. But it was Stallard's final start of that season, for which he is probably most known in baseball history. Uh, October 1st, 1961, Stallard pitched what he considered to be the best start of his career to that point, and in subsequent interviews would ruefully note that felt like it might have been the best game he ever pitched in the majors. Uh, He threw seven innings of one-run ball, allowing only five hits, a walk and five strikeouts to a powerful Yankee lineup. Unfortunately for Stallard, that one run was one of the most memorable home runs in baseball history. In the first season with 162 games, of course, Roger Maris very famously went into the final game of the season, tied with Babe Ruth for 60 home runs uh, for the all-time single-season home run mark. And after inducing Maris to fly out to relatively deep left in the first inning of the game, uh, Maris, of course, came to the plate for the second time in the game in the bottom of the fourth, Stallard pitching wonderfully. He had retired nine in a row. Uh, but fell behind Maris 2-0, and on the third pitch of the at-bat, Maris put one into the short right field Yankee porch, uh, setting baseball history with his 61st home run, a new record that, of course, would stand for 37 years and would tie Stallard's name to Maris uh, for pretty much baseball eternity. But Stallard was still a 23-year-old man with hopefully a long baseball career ahead of him, and one that, of course, would soon take him to the New York Metropolitans that we know and love. Uh, He would spend almost all of 1962 in the minor leagues in AAA, save for one uh, one relief appearance uh, for the Red Sox, and in the offseason... The Red Sox would send him and Pumpsy Green to the New York Mets for Felix Montilla. And Tracy Stallard, uh, you know, the young right-hander who was having a hard time breaking into the Red Sox rotation, would of course join a team starving for young talent and where opportunities would be aplenty. The franchise just entering its second season in 1963, the New York Mets. Stallard, 63, actually started off a little bit like a 61. He was mostly pitching out of the bullpen uh, before, before ultimately joining the rotation for the Mets in June of 63. He actually got off to a pretty hot start uh, in his first four starts. He won three of them, uh, throwing two complete games and going eight innings in the third raising his record to 3-4, and four, uh, no small feat for a team that had gone 40 and 120 the year before and was 28-44 and 44, uh, as of June 23rd uh, when he recorded that victory over the Phillies. Stallard would actually get his ERA as low as 3.58 by the end of June, but he would struggle late in the year. Now, obviously, it's can't really blame one person for the 63 Mets ineptitude and uh, probably there was not a lot of offensive support, but uh, Stallard also uh, didn't pitch well over the second half of the season and helped earn his uh, 6-17 and 17 record, uh, uh, recording a 4.71 ERA and uh, just really struggling down the stretch. But obviously, you know, young pitcher, uh, nascent franchise, so 
Stallard was going to be a member of the rotation again in 64. The team, I think, still hoped that he would develop. Honestly, I don't know what the Mets were hoping in 1964, but why not give a hard-throwing right-hander another chance? And while Stallard would lead the league in losses in 1964 with 20, uh, a lot in this case, a lot of that would probably fall to the team as a whole. Uh, as we all know, wins and losses not always the best way to judge a pitcher, and Stallard pitched better in 1964. Uh, 64 and 65 were probably his best major league seasons. Indeed, Stellard had some highlights that that year for the Mets. Uh, well, he threw five complete games in 1963. He threw 11 in 1964, including two shutouts. On July 25th of 1964, uh, Stellard led the Mets over the Milwaukee Braves in a 10 nothing. Victory, he threw a three-hit shutout, walking only two, and striking out seven. And then later in the year, on September 16th, uh, he would throw a 4-0 shutout against the San Francisco Giants, outdueling Gaylord Perry to raise his effort to 10-18. and 18. Uh, This, again, perhaps uh, one of the more impressive Stallard three with the Mets. Uh, nine innings, two walks, ten strikeouts, only five hits, a game score of 85 Definitely his two best starts in a Mets uniform. Uh, alas, Stallard would lose his final two starts of the season, uh, won a 2-1 complete game loss to the Cardinals, and then on September 27th he would uh, go seven and a third, surrendering two earned runs again, but take the loss to Cincinnati as the Mets would fall in that game to 51-104, and, and Stallard would fall to 10-20, and uh, again giving him that lead lead in losses for the season, his only black ink on his uh, baseball record, so to speak. But as a point of fact, again, this is a you know, very, very bad Met team, as all of those early season teams were. And Stallard was one of the best performers on the 1964 Mets. Of course, Ron Hunt uh, famously was the team's first all-star and led the team in war, according to baseball reference, with a 3.2 mark. Uh, but Stallard was actually uh, fourth on the team in war with 2.3 that year, uh, trailing only Hunt, Galen Sisko, and Joe Christopher. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. He appeared in 36 games, starting 34, and key Jack Fisher, Al Jackson, and Cisco comprised a semi-reasonable rotation that obviously did not have a lot of 
uh, offensive or defensive support behind them. But besides le- leading the league in losses, it was one loss in particular, uh, just another way in which, unfortunately, Stallard would will most be remembered in baseball history as a footnote to other more dramatic accomplishments. And that was, of course, on Father's Day, 1964, June 21st, when Stallard would again hook up with Jim Bunning, as he did in that rookie year of his in 1961. Now, in 61, when they hooked up, as I said, Stallard walked 10 in four and two-thirds innings, uh, and I think they just gave him that long because they were trying to get him his first career win because Bunning was atrocious. He only went three and a third innings, surrendering eight hits and several runs, and did wind up taking the loss in that game, though Stallard would not get the victory. When they matched up on Father's Day 64, uh, Stallard did get into the, get through five innings, actually getting into the sixth, getting roughed up for four runs, uh, turning a 2 nothing lead into a 6 nothing laugher uh, on a day when it really wouldn't have mattered if he only gave up one run again, because Jim Bunning was absolutely perfect. Bunning would throw the fifth perfect game in modern baseball history, the, the seventh officially recorded perfect game to, to from 1880. Uh, and actually, I guess the first modern perfect game in the National League, actually. Back then, entering the ninth inning, Bob Murphy uh, informed the radio audience that not since 1880 has there been a perfect game in the National League. Bunning really mowed down the Mets, uh, the one, uh, you know, as, as they apocryphally say, there's usually one play, and uh, with one out in the fifth, uh, the Mets catcher, uh, Jesse Gonder, uh, hit a ball, a line drive between first and second that uh, Bunning believed was going to cost him the perfect game. No shift then, I guess, but uh, the Phillies' second baseman, uh, Tony Taylor, uh knocked the ball down in shallow right field and threw Gondor out uh, from his knees, uh, you know, and from reports I've read, you know, obviously probably anyone but the catcher probably would have been able to beat that out. But uh, Bunning, after the game, acknowledged that uh, when Taylor made that play, I thought I had something special going. Tracy Stallard was unfortunately long gone from the game after five and a third uh, when the Mets tried to break up the perfect game in the ninth. Uh, Casey Stengel clearly wanted to break it up, sending up uh, a couple of pinch hitters in the ninth inning. But as covered in our earlier podcast, uh, Charlie Smith popped out to short, uh, and then George Altman pinch hitting and John Stevenson pinch hitting both struck out. Uh, Bunning's tenth, ninth and 10th strikeouts of the day in he celebrated his perfect game on the Shea Stadium field with the even the Met fans uh, giving him a solid ovation and less dramatically than giving up a 61st home run but for the second time in his young career uh, Tracy Stallard I guess was on the wrong or losing side of baseball history and while he did have a more effective year, as I kind of indicated, than the one-loss record would indicate. Uh, in the 1964 offseason, uh, the Mets traded Stallard and Elio Chacon to the St. Louis Cardinals for Johnny Lewis and Gordy Richardson. Stallard was, of course, joining the defending world champion Cardinals, and for a bit in 1965, it looked like that Cardinal devil magic would rear its head again as he 
Uh, got off to a pretty good start uh, with the Cardinals. ZRA was down in the mid-twos at one point in the season as a bullpen pitcher spot starter. And of course, it probably didn't hurt that he was playing on a winning team, but he did record the only uh, winning record of his career, 11-8, and eight, uh, and he finished the year with a 3.38 ERA, uh, 40 games, 26 games started, uh, but he did struggle later in the year, uh, essentially losing his spot in the rotation with the Cardinals. And 66 would actually wind up being his last year in the majors. He would spend uh, some of the year with the Cardinals at age 28, but most of the year in AAA Tulsa with the Cardinal organization and would never again make it back to the majors after 1966. Uh, the Cardinals would go on to win the World Series again in 67, but he did not appear in the major league uh, with the team. He spent all of 67 in Tulsa. But his uh, major league career then ended actually at the age of 28, although he would uh, continue on in the minors and in winter leagues and in Mexican leagues into his early 30s, uh, trying to get back to the majors, but never quite making it. For his career, uh, Stallard finished with 30 wins and 57 losses, a 4.17 ERA, appeared in 183 games, started 104 of them. Uh, pitched 764 and two-thirds innings, uh, struck out 477, and walked 343. His career war, according to baseball reference, was 3.1. In two seasons with the Mets, Stallard went 16 and 37, uh, rough 302 winning percentage, but then doesn't really help pitching for an expansion franchise. Uh, he had a 4.16 ERA with the Mets, and recorded 2.3 war in his career with the Mets, uh, again, thanks largely to that 1964 season. Regarding his unique spot in baseball history, Stallard was uh, at least uh, when it happened and shortly after his retirement was always very uh, pleasant and affable about the experience uh, at the time, saying, I'm glad Maris hit the home run off me, otherwise I would never have been thought of again. Uh, that was all I thought about it, and I've had a good time with it. And again, he didn't really shy away from associations with it. Uh, he put in appearance, even though he was pretty reticent and quiet in his retirement after he retired from baseball, he moved back to Virginia. Uh, he mostly stayed out of the public eye, but he would attend a, ch a charity fundraiser with the Roger Maris Golf Tournament in Fargo, North Dakota, several times and generally seemed good-spirited about his spot in baseball history. However, for whatever reason, uh, when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were chasing Maris in 1998, uh, Stallard showed no interest in being part of all of the uh, hoopla surrounding that and uh, refused numerous appearances to... numerous requests for appearances during that uh, chase of Roger Maris that ensued in 1998. Unlike a lot of ex-athletes, uh, Stallard didn't really get involved in coaching. Uh, he got involved in the coal business, apparently, and uh, got very involved in you know, his hometown in Virginia. Uh, a new baseball field at his high school was named after him. Uh, he lived near there until close to the end of his life, although he did die in Kingsport, Tennessee, at the age of 80, uh, and just a few years ago in December of 2017. 
that Tracy Stallard left behind a name that'll always be remembered in baseball history and toiled for a couple of years as the New York Mets were just beginning their journey. And for that, he, of course, is unformidable. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Uh, you can follow Amazing Avenue on f- all of the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and any of our Amazing Pods wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets!